Fine Music Radio. People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. You're listening to Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trudgeon introducing you to this week's edition of People of Note. My guest today is a man who's just been appointed general manager of the Cape Town Philharmonic Orchestra. His name is John Walton, and he brings to the CPO a wealth of experience gained in the orchestral milieu over decades. John received his education at Sachs and UCT's College of Music and has been involved in professional music making since his 20s and, importantly, across a broad range of activities, including education, management, productions, performance, and as a commissioned arranger orchestrator, for which he has an immense and impressive list of clients and credits. So, John Walton, welcome to People of Note. Welcome to the Cape Town Philharmonic. Thank you so much, Rodney. It's a great pleasure to be here. You know what I want to ask you first is how did you manage to get... First of all, what does a manager do? What does a general manager of an orchestra do? I'm responsible for the day-to-day running overall for the company. So Louis is CEO. He's dealing at... That's uh, Louis Haneman. Louis Haneman. Dealing at an artistic level and making sure that the corporate governance and oversight of the entire company is optimal. And then I'm running around sort of implementing quite a bit of stuff and just making sure that we're compliant in terms of government regulations, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of getting people contracted as they should be, all that type of thing. But you've also been involved with other orchestras for a while. You were involved with the KwaZulu Natal Orchestra, weren't you? I was, orchestra, Man- yes. yeah, I was orchestra manager there for a number of years from 2014. And uh, it, it was an interesting experience because I'd been involved in ad hoc groups prior to that. Uh, so to move into the professional scene uh, was a great learning ground for me. Yes, also um, a bit corporate, I suppose, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. In a sense. And, and also sort of you just thrown in the deep end. Mm-hmm. I remember arriving in my office there seeing a pile of files with not an inkling of what I was supposed to do with them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm sure you soon learned. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but was it exciting? You have to answer yes to this, by the way, to be appointed as general manager of the CPO. How, how did it come about? Hugely exciting. It was also quite a surprise. And I've been working with the orchestra for the last few years, um, and we'll speak about it a bit later with my Mm -hmm. company, Cinemagic. And I suppose I've gained enough experience over the years to be of some use. And Louis phoned me, must be about seven weeks ago, as recently and, as that, yeah, so all brand new. Because I live in Neisner, so I'm, <laughs> I commute now. So I commute between Neisner and Cape Town. And Louis phoned me and he said, we're losing two key people and I need somebody who can just step into the office and get on with it mm-hmm. without having to train. So here I am. Oh, well done. And are you? I presume you, you said it was exciting, but... I suppose at the moment you've got lots of ideas and things, but settling in takes a while as well, doesn't it? Picking up loose ends because mm. the HR needed a bit of attention and there's a bit of a backlog there, so that occupies a fair amount of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also just starting work as the coordinator for Operalia, together oh, with yes. Captain Opera, yes. Artscape and the orchestra. 
So that's another whole sphere of, of interest. But that's a big thing, isn't it? Because it that's a big, big international and famously yes. international singing yeah. competition. And then just sort of trying to sort out even small things like the, the our wonderful orchestral crew. Um, this morning I saw he's using a pen knife to try and fix something. So let's go and buy some tools <laughs> for them so they can you know, spatter. As or basic as that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's, yeah. it's just kind of taking an overall view. What do we need to do to put things so they can run smoothly. Mm-hmm. And do you, you, you're not involved in any way artistically? You're not playing in the orchestra or anything like that? No, but interestingly enough, um, with Cinemagic two days ago, I was recording, so I was conducting the orchestra uh-huh. at Milestone Studios. Yeah. That, you mentioned we're going to talk about it, but I think we need to talk about it now because it's quite important, the sort of synergy between your company, Cinemagic Scoring, and the Cape Town Philharmonic. As you said, you've worked a lot together. So what is Cinemagic Scoring? It came about in 2017 when, as manager of the KwaZulu-Natal Philharmonic, I received a phone call from a gentleman saying, my name's Gavin Potter, I love orchestral music. I'm wanting to volunteer on Thursday nights. So if I can hand out programs or assist in any way, please, I'd love to offer my services. So I said, sure. So he presented himself on Thursday at the symphony concert, and we put him to work. And it became apparent that he was far more than just uh, somebody who was interested in orchestras. It turned out he was an active composer, um, writing for the international gaming industry, also running, uh, writing for, uh, I'm trying to remember the name, Hallmark. Yeah, the Hallmark Channel. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, he's an accountant, so he's a full and <laughs> fully-fledged businessman. <laughs> Which doesn't and often go with a musician, does it? All too often not, mm-hmm. unfortunately for our trade, because it's a skill that people need. However, Gavin approached me a few months after we'd gotten to know each other a bit, and he said, I've seen a model that's working well in Eastern Europe, where orchestras are time-sharing themselves out, because if you imagine what it costs to run an orchestra, you're talking, and in in big business terms, it's a drop in the ocean. Mm. But for the arts community, anything in excess of 30 million per annum is is a lot of money, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly with absolutely minimal support from the state. So anything that can generate additional income is welcome. So what they did is that they timeshared out the orchestras in Eastern Europe, and we looked at this and adapted it. And we said, you know, Joe Soap cannot afford to pay, say a session costs 120,000 rands for three hours for, for an orchestra. If a guy's got a three-minute piece of music, he can't afford 120,000 rands worth of orchestra time. So we amortized it and doing that, we sold off chunks. And then we advertise and we fill up the whole three-hour session with music from different composers. And we go ahead and record. They each get their music. The orchestra gets money. We get money. Everybody's happy. My goodness me. Okay. I want to explore that in a moment, John. But I'm interested in your music choice. I see Mahler is your first choice. And now, how about that? A great favorite of mine, Mahler, as well. I adore the late romantics. Mahler in particular with his use of folk song and his tonal palette. I mean, the opening of this fourth symphony with those bells, it's, mm, it's just it's magical, isn't it? glorious. Yeah. It is magical. And we're going to hear part of the first movement because it is a long movement. Of course. Because so, I want to talk to you some more. <laughs> we'll just play a part of the opening with Leonard Bernstein and the Vienna Philharmonic. Lenny, what a genius. Absolutely incredible. 
Part of the opening movement of Mahler's Fourth Symphony, there played by the Vienna Philharmonic, conducted by Leonard Bernstein, and the first choice of my guest, John Walton, the recently appointed general manager of the Cape Town Philharmonic. And John, you spoke rather enthusiastically about Bernstein. Like me, are you a huge Bernstein fan? I am, and particularly when you look at what he did to educate people through his concerts for young mm. people, and then the Harvard lectures taking the deepest heart of the art of music making and how that and the philosophy of life are completely intertwined. I wish they'd show those children's stories on television here. It would do so much for young people learning to love music. Well, they're all available on YouTube. Well, I suppose they are. (laughs) Yes, okay, well... (laughs) Okay, now, um, just before the music break, we were talking about your company, Cinemagic Scoring, and how you adapted an Eastern European model, model, thank you, to South Africa. And then KwaZulu-Natal was the first orchestra, was it, to do that? Well, we did a demo recording with them, but I didn't get any real traction there. So I phoned Louis and said, I've got a business proposition for you. If you've got any time available in a month, I'd like to use those sessions at a negotiated rate, and you'll be making more money than you had before we spoke, as it were. And and Louis very graciously, I think possibly at first he wondered a bit about it, Mm -hmm. uh, but he graciously said yes. And we recorded our first work was a full-on symphony, a beautiful symphony by a young Italian composer, Emmanuel D'Onofrio, from Napoli. And he's just finished his uh, doctoral studies in the University of Toronto, back in Italy now. And he's written a new piece that we're going to be hopefully recording within the next six to eight weeks. And young genius. This is very interesting, you know, because I think I speak for many Cape Philharmonic fans, myself included. We're not really aware that the orchestra is doing this. It's all happening rather secretively. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I'm so glad because it yes. helps with their budget. On, on, on Tuesday, <laughs> we recorded two film scores. And we've done other film scores, stuff on Netflix, and a lot of private composers who want to hear what their music sounds like, other podcasts where people need music. And it's it's been a fascinating process. And we've done quite a bit of this now. If you go to the website, you'd be able to see that. Uh, we've got samples on and uh, how beautifully the Cape Phil plays at these recording sessions. When you say the website, you mean their website, the Cape Philharmonic's website? You can get a link off that or our cinemagicscoring.com. Ah, okay. Yeah. And is the orchestra credited um, oh, yes. on Netflix? Oh, yes. It is? Yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, full credit's given. My goodness, and do the musicians enjoy it? They seem to love it. I'm, I'm very <laughs> grateful because I'm, I'm the poor dancer up there with the stick. Yes, And yes. Uh, they are most supportive and they make it an enjoyable experience all around. Mm. So let's talk about you then as a conductor for a while. When did that begin? So you were at Saks and you went to UCT and a host of other things. And then now you're conducting as well as composing. That came about... Uh, I've got a lovely story, in fact. When I used to do the KFM Symphonic Pops mm. together with Mike Campbell and Steve Are we Robinson. Are involved in that as well? Yes. yes. Yeah, yes. the three of us did that. We moved it from the original concerts at Spear when the Spear Festival first opened to uh, the Velodrome because there was no casino yet. And we used to use George Mickey to conduct. And he was wonderful to work with. And then one day, George phoned me and he said, I've been booked to do a long run at Artscape. And I can't get off. So you, please don't forget about me, but please can you get somebody else? <laughs> so I phoned, it, it was way back when, and I phoned the office and I said, who can I use to conduct this? And I'd had experience of Bernard Guler when the two, orchestra in, two orchestras in Cape Town combined to become the Cape Town Philharmonic Orchestra. And the inaugural concert was held here at Artscape and it was Ruspighi's Pines of Rome, Oof. and he needed an organist, and I got chosen to <laughs> play the organ, which was great fun. But I, I witnessed a conductor then that just gave me goosebumps, absolute, completely in control of everything, and the, the music just spoke from him, and the musicians responded. I'm so glad you said that, because he is such a genius. He's a treasure. Yeah. And... Um, after the management had put forward several names, I said, well, what about your man, Gula? And they said, he won't play your SH exclamation mark T. <laughs> He's the real deal. He does. <laughs> he does Mahler, Bruckner, Beethoven, Mozart. You know, well, he's not going to play this rubbish. So I said, give me his phone number. <laughs> and 45 minutes later, we were sitting in St. George's Mall talking about Michael Jackson and Madonna. And 45 minutes after that, we were sitting in my garage listening to it. And he said, I'll do it. And he brought the same intensity to a pops program that he would have brought to a Mahler symphony. Mm -hmm. And you've never heard a program being played with such intensity before. It was amazing. There was a young man at that concert who was doing the crewing backstage, Andrew McPherson. He came to me after and said, I'd love to do this one day. He said, but I don't even sing. I have a band. Anyway, later on, this is Andrew McPherson, Andrew McPherson who had a band called Flat Stanley, which turned into Max Stanley because of branding, international branding, copyright issues. And they're fabulous acoustic rock band. And he came to me some years ago and he said, remember that idea? I've now got a band. I've now got sponsorship. Let's do concerts. And it was the Heineken Symphonic Rocks concerts. And um, needed a conductor. <laughs> so I did the arranging and I stood up there with my knees quaking <laughs> and conducted. But you might possibly have learned a lot from your work with Bernard, Bernard Gula, yes. just by watching him. Yes, completely. And, and yeah. one of the greatest privileges of my life as manager of the KZN was sitting in on rehearsals and seeing all these international conductors. And yeah, there is no better masterclass than sitting there and watching how they actually work mm -hmm. on a daily basis to achieve the end product that the audience is. And it's the great mystery, isn't it? No one really knows what a conductor does. But gosh, when you watch a rehearsal 
then you know. Then you know then fully. You know everything. Yes, correct. Um, John, we're going to take another break because then I want to talk to you a little bit about all your arranging and composing that sort of side of your life. And I see we've got Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto, uh, an excerpt from the second movement. Is this something special? I know we're in the midst of a Rachmaninoff festival here. Correct. So why is your, what is special about this for you? It's one of the most beautiful movements ever written. It uh, is so simple and yet so deep. And the funny thing is it got used in pop tunes as well. Mm -hmm. And I landed up some years ago arranging the pop version of it and then adapting the arrangement to try and introduce a bit more Rachmaninoff into the orchestration. And it's always been a firm favorite of mine since I was a little boy. Okay, well, now we have Vladimir Ashkenazi as the pianist here with the London Symphony Orchestra and Andre Previn with an excerpt from the second movement of Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto.
part there of that rather beautiful second movement of the piano concerto number two by Rachmaninoff. Vladimir Ashkenazi was the soloist, and the London Symphony Orchestra was conducted by Andre Previn. And the second choice of my guest today, John Walton, who has recently been appointed the general manager of our very own Cape Town Philharmonic Orchestra. And we're in the midst, well, almost at the end of a Rachmaninoff season with a Cape Town Philharmonic in their uh, season at the moment. Um, I mentioned just before the break, John, that I wanted to talk to you about your arranging and compositional style. I gather that you do a huge amount of arranging, and not only that, that you have a huge library of arrangements. What attracts you to arranging, um, if that's not too naive a question? Composing, arranging was something I started as a little kid. And really? Oh, as long as that... Yes, even if I could write it down. And so I've, somewhere I've still got the notes that my Uncle Peter wrote down for me. He was a, a wonderful man. And I wrote a piece in honor of my aunt, my dad's aunt, Lily. So it's called Lily Dance. And I must have been about five years old. Oh, my so. goodness. Did you write it for keyboard or... Recorder. I oh, played, for recorder. Okay. Yes, yes. So... Lily Dance was my first composition. Okay, so that stayed with you, this love of composing, but also importantly, arranging. Yes, and writing. And years ago, there was a society here for gifted children. And for some reason, my parents thought (laughs) that I should belong. (laughs) So by the time I was in first year of high school, I'd written a symphony. No joking. Good grief. And... um, I got sponsored lessons to go and study with Peter Klatzer, the late Peter Klatzer, mm-hmm. who's a very dear friend and mentor. As a result of the symphony that yes, you wrote? Yes, yeah. So while I was at high school, I was studying at UCT with Peter, learning orchestration. Uh-huh. And so he, he started teaching me the, the craft. And then later on in life, um, I was just kept on writing. I was working in bands. I was in Mike Campbell's commercial band, Razzmatazz, for, jeez, must have been 15 years or so. But I see you also worked with Jerry Bossman, yes. who was such a, um, an amazing So I started musician. the same year with uh, Mike and with Jerry. So mm-hmm. I, I just finished uh, playing flute in the Navy for five years. And uh, during that time, it was hard to commit to anything outside because you never knew whether you had to put in your marching boots or not. So I got a phone call. Jerry needed a pianist who could both improvise and read scores. So I was privileged enough to work with Jerry, and he became a very dear friend and mentor. And in fact, I have got his entire library. My it, goodness, it was no. when his widow Mary passed on, it was left to me. And it's sitting now at the Artscape facility in Epping. Mm-hmm. And all handwritten. Pre- the hours, I cannot begin to tell you how many hours it would take to do that by hand. Yeah. Whereas today we're very fortunate we've got software that can halve the time. Mm-hmm. Because once you've written a score, you don't have to think, okay, I've got to write all those parts out by hand. Now you push a button and the parts appear magically yeah mm-hmm. that's quite a thing to have to and do you uh, do you use it i presume you do yes Jerry's daily. Library. Oh, yeah, oh, the library it's it's not been used so much these days there's still a few old war horses that are faithfully trotted out mm-hmm. and you know richard cock uses them durban uses them Occasionally, I, I know the Cape Phil has been doing his District 6 suite yes. quite a bit um, 
David and Talib's music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. is this a new project that they're doing? No, no, it's, it's an old one that Jerry did. But the, the dis- District 6 Suite by Jerry Bosman took all the hit tunes oh, from okay, okay. the musical and put them into a medley. Right. Yeah. Is that available? Are these things available? Yes, of course they are. To uh, the public, I mean. The recordings, uh, I'm not sure if any recordings exist, but um, when the orchestra performs and it's a community concert, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. But am I right in saying that George Mickey also had a huge collection? Yes. Did he have a separate house or something? I had a story. <laughs> well, a he had massive a massive collection of music. Um, yes, he had a separate room, which was <laughs> <laughs> wall-to-wall music. Right. And also a lovely arranger. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were doing the KFM Symphonic Pops all those years ago, uh, we played quite a number of his pieces. So, The whole concept of orchestrated lighter music um, is quite different, isn't it, from the discipline of symphonies and concertos and things. But therefore, am I right in saying you allowed much more freedom in what you do? I think different arrangers have got different approaches. Mm-hmm. I always try to write stuff that is going to have the respect of the musicians playing it. Right, right. So I try to make it interesting. I try to make it stick true to the original intent of the music, but bringing different tone colors, uh, different counter melodies, so that it, it, I hope, enhances the whole experience. And international exposure, John? Do you have any of your stuff sent Uh, over? uh, Regularly. From the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, where Liz Calloway sang. Um, she is the voice on Anastasia. Yes. Uh, this, yes you know, yes. the animated movie. To Maz concert in Bucharest. To Eurovision. To you name it. My you goodness. Know, so I've, I've got a fair amount of stuff out there. <laughs> of international. But what I, what I find so interesting is that you've... I wonder what your favorite is, because you've got a finger in many pies musically. It's all about music, first and foremost. There's conducting, there's arranging, there's composing. I don't think there's a favorite. It's whatever is Whatever's available. available at the moment. And I also think that I appreciate a holistic take on life, mm-hmm. that music is a reflection of what's happening around us. Yes. And not only that, it's a reflection of the universe. Music is primarily mathematically um, connected the 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 way the intervals and the sounds frequencies work is in a very ordered fashion mm-hmm. and those patterns are found throughout nature that's a thought to contend with isn't it because maths I, it's not the first time I've been told that music and maths are so closely related in so many ways and, and I don't think it's maths in the understanding most people have got of arithmetic it's maths in how things relate to one another ah okay yeah now listen john we're going to take another piece of music and i see you've got that rather lovely piece by ravel pavan for a dead princess one of the most hauntingly beautiful music uh, pieces of music ever written and ravel's command of orchestration is absolutely right up there Mm. Uh, Rimsky, Korsakov, Ravel, Debussy, the way they use the instruments to produce these fascinating colors and to convey emotion is just absolutely stupendous.
really one of Ravel's most beautiful, gentle pieces, the Pavan for a Dead Princess by Ravel. And another choice of my guest, John Walton, here on People of Note on Fine Music Radio. John's just been appointed as been hearing general manager of our orchestra, the Cape Town Philharmonic. And um, I'm just wondering how busy this is going to keep you, John. At the beginning, you said there was lots of sorting out to do. But I should imagine it's going to be a pretty full-time job because the orchestra is doing so well. And you make us all feel very good by explaining just how much more the orchestra is doing that a lot of people don't know about with your company, Cinemagic Scoring. Not only that, uh, the education work is absolutely amazing. What In the townships and the development, and if you look at the success of the program, for instance, Shannon Thebus, our principal horn, mm. is a homegrown product. Yeah. And yeah. many others in the orchestra. So the success is here for the seeing. It mm-hmm. really is an amazing legacy that uh, Louis has created over the last 23 years. He's been here a while, hasn't he? Now? Yeah. And fought for the orchestra. So Completely. And to deal with uh, COVID as well. Yes. And, and the fact that the orchestra is still alive is due to Louis. Mm, uh, he did an amazing thing. And everybody had to take a salary cut. But we are still here. And that's the most important. <laughs> and we are back with a vengeance. <laughs> you are indeed. Um, John, do you have... Do you involve yourself with quite a lot of jazz or not? At the moment, are you more classically orientated? I have a philosophy that there's only two types of music in this world, good and bad. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I it's not genre <laughs> specific. Okay. But I do love jazz. I uh, I was very fortunate to play with Mike Campbell, and uh, I, I couldn't play jazz at that stage, so I was just thrown in the deep end. And I, to this day, I don't consider myself a jazz pianist by any stretch of the imagination. I can get by. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the creative process, and the creative process in real time has always fascinated me. So it's composition on the fly. Mm-hmm. And uh, You mean the sort of improvisatory nature of, of it? Of course, of course, yes. yes. Uh, and, and some of the most amazing things is when you've got a group of people and they start trading eights or trading fours, trading twos, as, it, as it's called, where they are having a musical conversation and the sax player will play four bars and then the pianist will reply with four bars and then it goes on through the group. And so there's this amazing interweaving and you've just somehow something at a deeper level more often than not transpires and the same material starts creeping into all the different players and you think, what on earth is going on here? <laughs> It's fascinating. Good grief. Do you teach at all, John? I did. I, know I don't I, anymore. I know you spoke at, uh, t- taught at Sachs. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, not anymore. Okay. Um, I think that chapter of my life is closed. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm tremendous friends with a great number of my ex-students. And I got as much out of it, I hope, as they did, mm-hmm. um, because I never saw myself as a teacher. I saw myself as somebody who could enable them to unlock the talent hidden within them. Mm-hmm. But also just looking through um, your CV, your bio, whatever they call it, your CV, you've worked with very interesting people. Abdullah Ibrahim, for example, produced and conducted Radio KFM's Best Hits and Memories, which many people will remember, and also the grand finale to the Spear Summer Festival, a host of things. that Your name has been around <laughs> for years. <laughs> and now it's going to be around even more here in Cape Town. Like a bad penny. 
Well, no, I hope not. Not quite. Not quite a bad penny. Um, and now, what's next? Have you ever been specifically commissioned to write a film score? I have. And it was from a Durban company. And it's a beautiful little animation of a dancer in a music box. And oh, yes. It's 12 minutes of music. I just went about it the way I go about writing music. So I didn't follow the normal format that is out there where people tend to write in what's called a DAW, a digital audio workstation. In the old days, a sequencer. Mm -hmm. So they compose the music and then if it's to be played, they then get it scored later. I slaved my score writing program to the video and I composed the music watching the visuals in notes on, as it were, on paper, <laughs> digital paper. My goodness. And gave each character their own theme and different textures, obviously, for different events happening in the in the film. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what? Here's a question for you, John. What is your opinion currently of film music? You know, and I'm not necessarily talking about the John Williamses and John Barrys, but um, the sort of sound. Because I often get into trouble here at Fine Music Radio because I say we mustn't play film music that sounds too nebulous. We must play film music. That sounds good away from the picture. Well, I fully agree with you. Oh, good. And um, I, 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 I think far too much of it is formulaic. Formulaic, And everybody's exactly. trying to sound like Hans Zimmer, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's going, listening, analyzing, and then becoming carbon copies. And what's the use of that? For me, a composer's right. got to have their own voice. Yes. And there are some out there. And every now and again, you hear a film score and you think, wow. Uh, so I then, and the one who waits for the credits, come up to have a look or go into IMDb and see who wrote that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because, as you say, uh, and as I said, a lot of it can be thoroughly nebulous and it doesn't work away from the picture. Correct. And then suddenly you hear something that, uh, you know, there are people who say film music is the modern classical music, which I'm not entirely sure is true. But I can tell, I can work out where they're coming from. Yes. So if you refer back to John Williams, then that type of thing is completely true. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. I mean, he's writing violin concertos and things. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, he's got a vast to... repertoire apart from his film body mm -hmm. of work. Apparently, he is an unbelievably strict conductor to get that sound. We, we think automatically of Star Wars, but that, that rich, real rich orchestral sound that he, that he gets. And that's also having huge forces. We're unfortunately, due to budget here in Cape Town, we have 10 to 11 first violins. Hmm. When he's recording those scores, he's got 18 to 20 first violins. Yes. And he even recorded, uh, conducted the Berlin Philharmonic. Yes, I saw that. Absolutely yeah. wonderful yeah. performance. So, there's, <laughs> so we've been nice about film music mostly. Yes. I mean, and over the years, there's been so many fantastic film themes anyway. And if you looked at a contribution from the old original Disney uh, the comedic elements that were introduced and the uh -huh. use of xylophones to indicate run-ins and you yes. know, absolutely uh, <laughs> Tom and Jerry sort of thing. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, you, you see some of that stuff now coming into the mainstream body of music as well. Yeah. And is the, you, you spoke about your first symphony that Peter Kletzer heard and you subsequently ended up studying with him. Where is that now? Will we ever hear it? No, you will never hear it. <laughs> he and Peter never heard it. Uh, he saw it and he thought that perhaps there was uh, something worth salvaging there in terms <laughs> of uh, teaching me how to do it properly. Uh -huh. And there is still no first symphony uh, because I tend to write 
programmatic pieces or little suites and mm-hmm. a wide variety of stuff uh, from violin and piano through to full symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, what amazes me is these days with new recordings, um, in England, those English composers who wrote mood music and some of those pieces that we know so well um, of course I can't think of one at the moment Coronation Scott Coronation Scott is another one Frederick Curzon writing things you know and they real delights those orchestral pieces they are little gems beautifully scored beautifully written and I think there's still a very good place for them in the repertoire Mm. if you're doing a light concert to put one or two of those numbers in they're great pieces Yeah, I'm glad you said Mm. that Um, Now, look, we're going to have to end, but before we play your last piece, we're going to get a taste now, apparently, of your jazz side, your Oscar Peterson side. May I wish you best of luck. It's a wonderful job to have, I'm sure, the general manager of our orchestra, of which we are all so immensely proud. They've had to work very hard. As you said, thanks to Louis, they managed to get through the whole COVID sequence, and now we're away, and there you are. Thank you so much, Rodney. It's... uh Daunting and a privilege <laughs> and great fun all rolled into one. And we'll yeah. see you at the concerts. Thank you, and I look forward to seeing you. But before you go, John Walton, what is this about Oscar Peterson that you're going to play? When I was a little boy, my dad's Sunday ritual was to put on an LP or three in the course of the morning. And it went from anything from Night on a Bald Mountain to Beethoven symphonies to jazz and one of his favorite albums was Tracks by Oscar Peterson which Peterson recorded in the Blackwood Black Forest sorry the Black Forest in Germany solo Bosendorfer no rhythm section and just a sheer genius having fun at the keys and that album has been with me since I was most probably nine years old something like that in fact was gifted by BSF to my dad on a beautifully pressed vinyl, mm-hmm. and I still have it in my lounge today. Good gracious. Okay, let's listen now to Oscar Peterson. John Walton, thank you. Thank you, Rodney. It's been a pleasure.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.